When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Breakpoint Show. I'm Gil Gross with Alex Gruskin, and it is time to break down episode two, titled Take the Crown, which focused primarily on Matteo Berrettini and Isla Tomjanovic at the 2022 Australian Open. Uh, meanwhile, as we're recording this, the actual 2023 Australian Open has begun. And uh, Grusky, I want to start here. As we were uh, watching Berrettini play last night and lose to Andy Murray, there was a meme going around mm -hmm. that had to do with the business center. All right. It, it has to do with the scene that I think generated the most buzz in this episode about Berrettini um, saying, hey, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? Isla says, well, I got to. I got to do this interview for Tennis Channel at 8 a.m. And I'm just going to go in the other room, but I can't be silent. Mateo goes, wait, no, 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 no. You you have to you can't wake me up. Uh, go to the business center. And then they have a little bit back and uh, a little bit of a back and forth, which we can parse. But I was seeing tweets during this match like Andy Murray is about to send Berrettini to the business center. <laughs> I was seeing I saw one that said. Berrettini realized that he was going to have to do his post-game press conference from the business center. And now <laughs> he is motivated to come back and win this match. Is this the best and is this the first widespread breakpoint meme? See, for me, the meme I thought was more enjoyable as it relates to this episode that was going around was this alleged Netflix curse because we have seen a couple of the players, whether it's Bedosa, Tom Janovich, forced to withdraw before the event. Obviously, Berrettini now sent packing as well. Kyrgios forced to withdraw before the event. The funny thing to me, and only a few people did it, maybe this will help generate some buzz about this meme, of Tom Janovich standing on her suitcase and it's like a live look at all the Netflix participants right now as they're all standing on their bags being like, well, I don't need this two weeks of stuff. I'm headed home. I'm not going to be here in Australia for the next two weeks. I like that one a little bit more, but send them to the business center is pretty funny. I will say getting up early for something to do with Tennis Channel is something you and I can both relate to. So, of course, that was a nice moment for each of us. I've also been in that position having to record podcasts for Cracked Rackets where Westoff and I are on the road and I'm like crushed when I have to say to him like hey man I apologize in advance but like I need you to be quiet for the next hour like just just don't talk okay and you feel so guilty about that and so I almost wanted to take Berrettini's side because Tom Janovich, I was like, there was no guilt I was like you were just prepared to do this uh, at the same time 10 minutes isn't that loud like who hasn't heard something woken up to that something, and then immediately gone back to sleep. It was a fun moment. And in, in general, captures the sentiment of this was a much more fun episode, in my opinion, than episode one. Okay, good, good. Uh, I, I want to keep talking about this scene because uh, <laughs> there's there, there's a lot to get into. I mean, yeah. this was As a man who's been about... in a relationship, well, a quick follow-up from the last show because there were two comments that stood out to me and I think we should address them here early much as we did on the last episode one yes. shout out to the guy so funny shout out to the guy who goes hey this episode that you recorded me and you was longer than the actual episode that we were talking about that is just <laughs> what you should come to expect here on this show and that was a delightful <laughs> comment so shout out to you guys um, again the second comment was someone pointing out to you how foolish you were accurately I would point out, I agree with this commenter, that you did not realize there were social media, uh, there were dating apps for famous people. And I would point out, how did Berrettini and Tom Janovich ultimately get together?
together, he sent her a message on Instagram. Like, welcome to 2023, Gil. This Dude. is how it works. Whoa, whoa. Don't pull that on me. <laughs> Nick, that is totally different from we met online. Kyrio said we met online. Where is which... Instagram? You don't, when you slide into someone's DMs on Instagram, you don't say, oh, we met online. That's very okay. different from sending somebody who you're very well aware of, like Fair. Berrettini and Tomjanovic knew e of each other, obviously sure. being on tour. So it is very different. I will defend myself on that front. <laughs> yes. uh, but, but, but you're right. You're right, Gruskin. Uh, this episode two is, was a lot about the relationship between two, you know, players that were dating on tour and they are no longer dating that was not addressed on this episode the casuals uh will be very disappointed to find out about that we didn't take... get the end credit scene devastating you know, right when we when when they take to google to what get if a they would have done like you know how i mean you don't know this because you don't watch marvel movies but you know how there are credits for marvel movies and there's always a scene that leads to the next movie they're going to release like what if they would have done that with veratini and tom Yanovich of like a little post-credit scene of like it's just not working. I, I haven't seen you Australian Open to Indian Wells. I'm sorry. Like that, I shouldn't be making fun of a breakup, but it would have been funny. Yeah, and I, I'm curious to see like if they're going to address the the end of that relationship because I'll be disappointed if they don't. I mean, that's interesting. It's a cliffhanger. What we, we need to get, I mean, what we haven't gotten yet, okay, two episodes in is where we're at, uh, is like anything negative really happening other than losing a tennis match and we want to see that that negative drama uh like how that breakup i mean if this is about access which is what this is about behind the scenes that kind of thing is is what we what we want and what we're going to need for this series to to uh to ultimately be compelling so uh let's just put that on hold um it was interesting to see the dynamic between these two. And this scene in particular, there was a couple of hotel room scenes. The messiness of their hotel room uh, was certainly a talking point. I mean, it was a disaster, okay? Um, but yeah, this business center interaction sparked a lot of debate about Mateo's treatment over Isla. And look, um, I didn't ever think that I'd be in a position where uh, I am talking about this kind of thing on the podcast. But if we're going to talk about this episode, we have to talk about this and it's gossipy and it feels like we are doing the bachelorette uh, <laughs> or something like that. But but it just has to be done. And here which is good. There needs to be some commercial appeal for this show. And guess what? People are enticed by relationships. Always. It's two very good looking people who are very successful trying to navigate their successful lives in a relationship. That is compelling television. Carry on, my friend. I have two parts to this take. I'm going to deliver the first part, let you respond to the first part. I don't think there's anything wrong with Mateo saying, hey, you can't really wake me up. Like, I I need to sleep. You know, I'm in the tournament right now, and I'm a high-level professional athlete, and I, I, don't, I don't round with my sleep. Like, I have to sleep, okay? And, you know, you can do the interview somewhere else. I actually don't think there's anything wrong with that. It was uh, it was the nature of the interaction. He got a little snippy there for no reason, and like especially because Isla was was really good about it. She said, "Okay, I'll do what you said, and I'll go to the business center." And instead of being like, "Oh, thanks, babe, appreciate it," he like kept kind of complaining about the fact that he was that she uh, might have done the interview in the business center. So I I, I think at face value. Uh, it's okay that Mateo was like, hey, I got to sleep. I'm sorry. But the way he went about it was a little bit aggressive for no reason. That's my take on, on the business center interaction. I mean, we're definitely reading a little into one innocuous five-minute conversation, but that's what you do here on this show. To your point, I, I agree with everything you said. The only commentary I would add, it was funny when Berrettini goes, I'm still in the tournament. Like, he's like, you're doing a tennis channel, like 10-minute interview versus still in the tournament. He said it in very stark terms, which you're right, as you pointed out. It's a little aggressive. Now, I don't think he meant it with that sentiment. And you have to keep in mind, and this is something I also have in my notes, they're communicating in English. 
that is not Berrettini's first language. Like all of these players are fluid, uh, fluent, excuse me, and fluid, but fluent in multiple languages. And I always just think that's a fascinating point that isn't emphasized enough about how intelligent you have to be to do what so many of these players are capable of doing. Um, you know, to your point about their relationship. I will say, reading too much into it, Tomjanovic was like, okay, I'll do it in the business center. But she also had a look at her face that said, yeah, f*** that. I'm not doing it in the business center. You're absolutely wrong about this. I'm just going to do it in the other room. And again, that's where I reside in this argument of being like, I promise you, Mateo, you will hear me for the first two minutes and then you'll be back to sleep. Because when they're asking me questions, I'll go silent and that's when you'll fall asleep. And again, like she was right. He was right in the sentiment of like, please, do you mind trying? If he would have said, do you mind trying to find somewhere else to do this? Because I wouldn't mind getting a full night's rest before my practice schedules. I'm trying to maintain these things. Like, you're absolutely right. He came off as aggressive. But I don't think that was the sentiment. I think that's just one of those stupid fights you have. Now, you're in the relationship with someone who's also in media. And I imagine there's actually been a scenario where you've been like, hey, I got to get up early to do a hit. Or Jenna, who is your lovely girlfriend, would have also said, hey, I have to get up early to do a hit. Like, you can actually speak to this, I bet. But, like, again, I don't, I don't think this is indicative of how he treats her more broadly because there were other countless other moments, right, with him waiting to eat dinner for her after her match in the first round against Bedosa. Like, that's a gentlemanly thing to do. Him being right there to talk with her after that match, gentlemanly thing to do. They had the movie debate, which she clearly won because you could tell he's like, wait, they have a family asking about one of the characters. And she was like, just wait until this, like, you'll get there. So clearly she picked the movie that night. Like, I, do, I don't think this was indicative of the broader terms of their relationship. You make the language point. I I, I feel like they are very comfortable communicating. I don't yeah. like that excuse, honestly. No, it's not an excuse. This, this... It's just a fact that okay. I feel like it's always worth reminding listeners who might be like, what yeah. what's going on there? It's like you got to just re- keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's fair. It's it's. I don't know. I would I would toss that out for these two players in particular. Sure. I think they have a good handle on things. But I appreciate the the point. I am going to make a a different. Uh, I I I'm careful with the word excuse, but I think that's the one that I'm gonna I'm gonna use here, uh, because you know I don't think as a whole I would kind of disagree with you. I don't think as a whole Mateo came off great in this episode it, in terms of you know the him and Isla interactions. But I want to make two points about that. Um, as much as I believe from what we saw in this episode, Mateo seems 90% of the time kind of annoyed at at Isla, (laughs) like just kind of annoyed and, you know, poking fun at for her, which is fine, but doing it without a smile on his face. Right. As much as I think that's true, two things to remember. First of all, we're talking about hours and hours and hours and hours of footage. And then the producer is going to decide what to use. Mm -hmm. And I mean, these things all the time in reality television these portrayals are frustrating for the real people involved because of what gets left on the cutting room floor and what gets used the second thing is some people act really different when there's a camera in the room and maybe and i would this would be a shame if it's the case but maybe mateo felt the need to just act a little bit bigger and tougher because there was a camera in the room again that would be unfortunate i would hope he would just be himself uh but He, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind is that's not necessarily the way that it always was because cameras change the way people act. So those are kind of my, my two parts of this, that I don't think Mateo came across very well, but I also think that there are maybe reasons why that was. That's fascinating. I agree. Again, this is one instance where he got a little bit kerfuffled. Um, I don't, I don't agree with you. Like I thought he came off pretty well. The fact that, you know, again, not to compare my career or your career to the careers of these players. But if you've played a match in your life, you have gotten a call from your parents after that match. You've gotten a call from a relative. You're like, like, do I really want to answer this phone call? And like immediately after his match over Alcaraz, who's Berrettini on the phone with? FaceTiming grandma and grandpa. And thank God grandpa had pants on because it was 50-50 that it was just going to be him and boxers like picking up that phone call. 
Like, he's doing those things. You saw after the loss. Who's the first person wait, he's on wait, FaceTime wait, wait. with? What, is, what does that have to do with... No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, get... talking about, I'm talking about him to Isla. Yeah, let me round third. I swear, I was rounding third. I was going to get there. And so, uh, you know, again, after the loss to Nadal, who's the first person he's on the FaceTime with? Tom Janovich. Like, again, I, I think... I, he loses the movie debate. Like, I, I think there was plenty of conciliatory things on his part. Now, it was fascinating to hear, you know, Tom Janovich talk about, you know, things are great between us when we're both winning. You imagine what the stresses are like when one person's really stressed out and frustrated with themselves. And, you know, like any tennis player, when you lose, you're, you're looking around and you're saying, is there anything I need to change about my circumstance to try and make life better? versus a player who's in the zone and cruising and wants to keep things exactly as is. You know, Courtney Nguyen, reporter for the WTA, who's one of the biggest winners of this episode, she pointed out that tennis players are notoriously self-centered. If you want to, if your argument is that Bayertini at times came off self-centered throughout the course of this episode, I don't know if I can knock you there. And maybe I'm within the tennis bubble, and so I see the little things he's doing as what these players do to prepare themselves. But I thought Berrettini came off very likable. And like, again, last disclaimer, and then I swear I'll shut up and let you talk because I know this is part one and I think you have a part two coming up. Um, You also think to yourself, like, man, if I had the opportunity to date Isla Tomjanovic, whatever she wanted to do, I'd be like, done, in. Oh, we're watching this movie? Sure, let's watch this movie for the 12th time. I get to watch it with Isla freaking Tomjanovic here. Um... Like, maybe that sentiment wasn't directly expressed by Berrettini, where it wasn't, like, all Isla all the time. But again, like, I thought it was a pretty healthy relationship. Well, my part one was that I didn't think he he came off well. My part two was... The footage, cut, editing, fair. Yeah, editing and also the way people change when there's a camera, when there's the presence yeah. of a camera, so that, you know, we should kind of keep that in mind with it. Um, Can yeah, I make I mean, one last point on this and flip it to you as a question? Yeah. Another feature that I thought made this episode better than the last one, all due respect to all the characters we got introduced to last week as part of the Nick Kyrgios team, um, but I really enjoyed the fact that this episode featured multiple players and multiple storylines. And again, we have both watched the F1 Drive to Survive series, which the producers of this series, that's the original series this one is based off of. This episode felt much more like the Drive to Survive series because there were just multiple things to follow, multiple things that caught your attention. I thought episode one at times got boring. This episode was never boring. And I think having this relationship, having two players you can focus on simultaneously was a key feature to that. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I, I have that in my notes that, especially in the beginning, it's painting the picture of the Australian Open as a whole. Literally have in my notes, and I quote, this reminds me more of Drive to Survive, where <laughs> yeah. when there is a race in Drive to Survive, uh, you are not aware of everybody in the race but you are aware of of multiple um teams Things. and and yeah. and what they are doing you're tracking uh, a couple different stories at once and uh yeah i i fully agree with you and i think that captures the essence of tennis so much better no absolutely and there's a scene early on and perhaps this will get us to the start of the episode but when they show the behind the scenes right at the beginning of craig tiley director of the australian open pontificating about when they'll find out the Djokovic news like that's straight out of drive to survive that's straight one of those like behind the scenes look how is he reacting to what was maybe the biggest news story of the 2022 tennis season and it felt like that sort of behind the scenes look to show the passion and I don't say that in a positive or negative sense but passion of the Djokovic supporters in Australia it made for really compelling television again once again first three minutes they nailed yeah, I mean, uh, I I mostly agree with you. First of all, like the first, it was so funny, man. The first forty five seconds of this documentary, like I thought I was watching like Occupy Wall Street. Like, <laughs> like I did not. If you did not know it was a tennis documentary, you'd be like, oh, like I'm about to watch like the, you know the collapse of like the the Greek financial. No, crisis you thought. Or something. Where's the tear gas? Where are the flashbangs? Like they're coming soon. This is right. a riot. Yeah, exactly. Like, where is uh, 
uh, I forget the documentary, but uh, they didn't spend that much time on it, right? So when I saw Craig Tiley, I'm like, oh yeah, good get. Uh, let's yeah. let's get let's get more of this. Just got a taste, just got a sliver. And then in terms of player reaction, and this is kind of what I hoped maybe we would see more of is is what was the reception of players while they were following this insane Djokovic stuff that you and I probably remember vividly. Just the 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 feelings and the coverage that you know as we were following this story. We only got one. We got Francis Tiafo, who, by the way, did not seem very broken up about it. Francis Tiafo, this is f***ing bonkers. One less person in the draw to think about. He <laughs> smiles when asked. We need more Tiafo in this series. And I know we're going to get more of him later on, but the little wry smile, that reaction, there was clear honesty in his this is bonkers moment. Like, it was good. which is where and you said it perfectly and maybe we only needed a sliver because there are plenty of other things to get to but all the behind the scene access give me all of that like those first three minutes are what this show can aspire to be at its best yeah I I think there could have been more I mean Nick was someone who was uh really going after the Australian government. He did not approve. You know, he would have had a very different reaction than Tiafo. And I do feel like there was a missed opportunity there. You know, Foe is probably a guy with no relationship to Novak whatsoever. And if you're in that position and you don't feel, you know, very strongly about the stance that Novak is taking, that's probably your reaction in the field. Like, oh my God, holy crap. All right, well, I mean, I guess that's good from a tennis standpoint. But then you're going to have other guys like, like a Nick Kyrgios who are just like, wow, this is really embarrassing for my country's government. And this is a load of crap. And I would have liked to get that full range. Yeah. I don't think they wanted to spend too much time on it again because yeah, that was very clear. And you talked about the lack of negativity we've seen in this show. It's tried to spin everything so far in a glass half full sort of light. Um, You know, this story does not do that. It's certainly a controversy, but it nailed the essence of setting the scene for why the Australian Open men's singles draw felt so open entering last season. It was funny. There was a commentator, I forget who it was, who talks about there are players no longer standing in their way, and they show a video of Rafa and Roger and Serena and Novak. And it's kind of funny because looking back on it as tennis fans, we're like, wait, Rafa wins the major. Like, he kind of was still standing in their way. But again, credit to Courtney, who right away talks about the health issues and the questions that surrounding surrounded him, which I do think were extraordinarily valid. And again, Sharapova talks about how there is a new guard emerging, and it's pretty exciting. And I do think that's a sentiment that had to be expressed because big picture, and this is what we talk about all the time at Cracked Rackets, that is the story right now in pro tennis is it's like, yeah, Djokovic is still winning. And that's, of course, 1A. But 1B is the very clear race for who's next. And at least this establishes that premise, which I appreciated. Yeah, it's uh, I, I agree that and I'm not I'm not criticizing here. And that that was kind of the feeling. And if if you're a Matteo Berrettini, that's what you're thinking. That's what you're saying. It's a wee bit disingenuous to me because. Explain. It's, it's disingenuous because if Nadal's not there, Daniil Medvedev is winning his second straight major. Like, it's just that even you take Nadal, Djokovic out of the picture, all right, now there's still pretty much three guys who are likely going to win. I mean, we have not seen a truly surprising result on the men's side. Truly, truly shocking since what? Chilich, 2014 US Open. I mean, that's that's what we're dealing with here is, and that's why I don't agree with like the whole like, well, you know, uh, Hubie Hercotch is pretty close. I mean, you look at Novak, he's getting old. Rafa, he's getting old. Yeah, Hercotch, Hercotch. Like, not to pick on Hubie here, but I don't think that class of player is actually close because Carlos Alcaraz exists and Tsitsipas and Medvedev exist. And now some other guys, Felix, you know, they're, uh, Sinner, they're coming up. So that's my stance on it. You're right. They did a good job of delineating, though, who's who later on as the episode goes, right? They talk about Anacone calling Alcaraz lightning in a bottle. Um, I think that's a pretty good and accurate description of what we have in Carlos Alcaraz. And you imagine as the season progresses, they will show his progression, ascension to the world number one spot. Again, you're right. In a vacuum, these individual players may not be the next slam champion, but the sentiment I think is the proper one. And I think they did a good, you know, again, it talks about is Berrettini due to win a slam? I think is a question that was asked. 
Yeah. Us hardcore fans might say no. We call him a tier two guy at Cracked Rackets, the epitome of you know he's going to get to the dance floor, but will he be the best dancer there? Like, you're right. Again, individually, that may be incorrect, but more broadly, he's certainly a guy with a bite at the apple. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, he's in that class of player where you can make an argument that, like, if things really get a little bit wild and wacky at the top, that he can actually take advantage and, and get it done. So it's it's fair enough. Let's uh let's separate these two now. I mean, we did talk about actually no, uh not yet. Okay. I wanna I wanna focus on Isla specifically and then focus on Mateo specifically. Uh, but before we kind of get away from their uh their dynamic, I will say uh Nick Kyrgios is an ex of Isla Tomjanovic. This was an example of where you don't get a lot of synergy uh between the episodes. Right. I mean, that's kind of a, a layup there where you just focused your episode one on a guy and now you're going to go to episode two. You're going to focus on a romantic relationship and you're not going to have any any reference towards the previous relationship. Now, I understand why that might get sticky. It might get hard to do. But this is another example of um, of where, you know, they, they do take a pass on something that might be a little juicy, might be a little difficult. What do you think of that? It's twofold. A, if they would have even asked, you used to date Nick Kyrgios, talk about that, and she just goes, next question, that's a good clip in and of itself. Exactly. Second fold, you say that to Isla, she probably looks at the producer and says, I'm sorry, what are we doing here? Like, I don't want to do any of this. I'm not answering those questions. And so there was enough meat on the bone that, again, you're, you, they could afford to make the pass, but they did make a pass. You're not wrong. Yeah. All right. Um, do you feel like we learned enough about what it's like when you have, you know, an ATP WTA relationship? I, I think there were some good insights there. Nothing that I, that my mind was blown by, but all of the scheduling questions, mm -hmm. what are you doing tomorrow? Where are you traveling? Oh, I can play Charleston. I'll see you in three weeks. Uh, you know, one player loses early. The other player makes the semifinal. I thought there was a lot there that that was uh was pretty interesting and it, illuminating it was fascinating illuminating is a great word to describe like again a, a very tennis centric moment but when berrettini up two sets to love drops the next two wins that fifth set deciding tie break against alcaraz and tomjanovic is there for that match and after he hugs her in the tunnel she goes that was awful like if you haven't had that hug with your mom or with a significant other or someone in your life, then you haven't played tennis before in your life because that's going to happen where there's a really close match and someone who's watching who cares about you says that was harder for me or thinks it was harder for them than it was for you out there on the court. I actually had this conversation with my little brother recently. I won't say the match he lost because he'll get mad at me, but he lost a match that just crushed me. Like I was devastated and like I th I'm pretty sure I cried after the match I was like oh and, and like he was like Alex you think I don't know how I was the one playing and I was like no but you don't understand how much harder it was for me all you had to ever do was watch me win um <laughs> I, like again it's illuminating how honest yeah uh, that interaction is or Tom Janovich talking about a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open when Berrettini made a similar run. Oh, I flew out right before your semifinal match. Remember that? And that's the sort of superstitious thing that a tennis player would remember. You're right more broadly. The scheduling is fascinating. The tidbit of I'm not going to see you till Indian Wells, which is a full month and a half after the Australian Open, talks about how difficult it is to sustain the relationship. The messiness of the room, to get back to that point, I was on the road in Los Angeles for three weeks consecutively. I know how messy things can get, especially in the COVID era when it's a little harder to keep a room straight because you don't have any help. It's also two players with a ton of tennis clothes. Like, God wonders what that room smells like. Like, God help them. Um, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was really, really fun. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they— they did get behind the scenes like they got that camera in the hotel room that's what it's all about they did practice together you know little stuff mateo was too sweaty and gross you know that's relatable um isla had an awesome squash uh forehand winner in that yeah. practice session or how got. about when they're talking about watching the movie again Tom Yanovich is like, all right, but can we actually watch it until the end? And we're all thinking, why wouldn't you watch it to the end? What else would happen during the movie? Like, I see you, Matteo. Yeah. 
Look, the, the movie, the, the little movie thing, that's just another example. Like how, if, if you take, let's say 15% of the episode was Isla and Mateo interacting, mm -hmm. I feel like 10% out of that 15% was like Mateo slightly annoyed disagreeing with Isla. And that just might be the producers, but like, I'm just saying that's, that's kind of what it was. Anyway, well, we're not going to. Maybe that's why they broke up, Gil. Maybe that's why no, they broke I, up. I think a lot of people came away with that takeaway, like, oh, I get why this didn't work. It doesn't look like Interesting. it's that great. Interesting. I, or, or, hey, I mean, maybe – did you see that on Twitter? I saw that I, I didn't see that sentiment, but I've been trying to avoid the breakpoint Twitter because I'm trying to keep my thoughts original. That's fair. That's totally fair. I mean, I saw it. I went into it. I watched it. I think I had an open mind. I understand where those people came from uh, and are coming from. All right, let's uh, focus on Isla a little bit. She loses early. Uh, she loses first round. What did you make of of that entire sequence where she plays Paula Bedosa? She loses six love in the second set. Uh, her entire arc. Did you get a lot out of that? Yeah, I, I thought it was excellent. And again, shout out to Courtney Nguyen, who did an excellent job of setting the scene, the 100000 extra dollars that comes with just winning a first-round match in a major, why that's so important to a player who's not an unequivocal top 10 sort of per, uh, caliber person. I loved it. I thought, first of all, after complaining about the lack of tennis, the lack of featuring the athleticism in episode one, they did that much more here in episode two. And I thought... Shout out to Diego Moyano, the coach at, in the moment for Isla Tamjanovic. Now they're no longer working together, but to hear him mic'd up, how locked in he was on the sideline, constantly offering tidbits of information and just, again, positive uh, reinforcement to Tamjanovic throughout the course of the match to see their discussion after the match when Tamjanovic is just furious, asking, you know, what's the point of being out there if I don't believe I can win? I should just retire it's crazy to get to see those sorts of thoughts expressed so candidly and so unfiltered. And, you know, again, it's just a reminder that all of these players are human beings and they all experience the same things that we all do, even if they are superhuman athletes. I thought Bedosa was excellent throughout the course of the episode. What did she say at one point when Tommy Donovich is coming back? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm f***ed. Like, again, we've all been there on the court. And so I really enjoyed it. What did you think? I uh, I loved the scene after the match yeah. uh, in the tunnel, you know, where Isla's really, really broken up. And I don't know, I had to actually rewind this part and I had to turn subtitles on because I really wanted to understand what she was saying. Let me just and pause you there. You don't watch Netflix with subtitles? Not always, no. What? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Why? What's oh. the big deal? The problem is once you start, you'll never stop. And it makes you feel like an old man, but it just – I'm just – I like reading. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I need – this is what they said. Okay, good. I, I usually watch with subtitles, but I did have it off. I turned it on. I rewinded. Uh, I wanted to understand what was going on there. Um, and the the doc didn't spell it out. So, you know, you really did have to kind of listen carefully. But Isla was clearly dealing with a physical problem, and she was starting to question – is this in my head? Like that was the conversation they were having. Isla was like, am I crazy? Am I crazy? Cause this thing is, is basically with my head. And I, I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me basically. And then the co uh, Diego was like, no, 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 it's real. You have a physical problem. It's hard. It's okay. You know, everybody deals with this. So uh, I thought that was fascinating. That's the kind of insight that we won't really, uh, we won't really get in real time. You know, Isla's probably not going to go at, after at her post-match press conference and be like, yeah, you know, uh, my shoulder hurts and I can't <laughs> tell if it's a real injury or if it's all in my head. Like she would, you know, she would never say that. So I thought that was good. Um, to that yes point, she talked about that little voice in your head doesn't stop. And again, yeah. it's a tennis playing thing, but this is individual, athletic, uh, individual uh, athletics in a nutshell. It's just you out there. And yes, you can have your coach trying to reinforce positivity towards you and try and tell you that you are as good as you think you can be. But ultimately, if you're underperforming, you are going to be furious with yourself. And to see that expressed so clearly, again, to have her talk about everything stopped being fun and, again, talk about the little voice in the head, the constant monologue. As a tennis player, it made me feel like, oh, nice. Like, I'm not crazy that when I'm playing, it's just constantly me.
thinking to myself out there, you do that too. Uh, like, again, this show is supposed to bring in casual tennis fans, but I think that's something you relate to in life where everyone's got their internal monologue, everyone's got their own thought process, and they really allow it to be displayed throughout this episode. And you're right that there was more tennis in the episode. And on the Berrettini side, you got you got many, many more matches, and they didn't mm -hmm. feature every single one. My only concern, and I kind of disagreed with you in the Curios episode, where you wanted to kind of get more in in the weeds with kind of what was happening in the matches. And I'm like, I don't care. It's doubles. It's Curios, <laughs> Kokonakis, and doubles. I don't I don't care about the matches. Um, you know, just show me the environment, show me the hype, show me the the relationship and the, you know, the get, give me a feel for that. And that's all I want. Um, now, as we get to something like Berrettini Nadal, um, I start to go towards where you were, where I am concerned that, you know, the, the highlighting of the mental game is really good. As, as good as that stuff is, I mean, tennis is extremely, extremely, extremely mental. And anyone who tells you otherwise is completely a liar and doesn't know what they're talking about. It's very mental. But there's more stuff here. And we need to, you know, I just hope that in the future we do get some conversation about tennis that goes beyond what the players are feeling in their minds during the match. I mean, that Nadal Berrettini match was a very, very easy opportunity. And I completely understand that there is very little appetite for tactics. And I'm not asking for a lot, but maybe just a simple like Nadal is a lefty. Berrettini struggles on his backhand side. And when Nadal goes cross court with his forehand, Matteo needs to hit a lot of backhands. I mean, and with a, with a good visual aid, all I'm saying is the Netflix producers and Andy Roddick, for God's sakes, who does such a good job of simplifying this, all of these people putting their heads together should be able to make a good sound uh, tactical point that is going to resonate with people who don't even watch tennis and don't know anything about the sport. Well, I thought Roddick did a really good job of explaining what makes the Berrettini forehand so effective, how he traps you with his forehand, and then he's in his pattern, and he doesn't let that stranglehold go. Agreed. You're right. I actually think this is where being who we are makes it difficult, because hearing about the mental side, we as tennis fans know what the tennis comes down to, and to hear the internal struggles as a tennis fan, that's what you want to know. You're right to a new fan to the sport or a casual fan. You do want to see that athleticism highlighted. I thought Roddick did a decent job of explaining the challenge that is fighting Nadal. I will also say someone referred to Berrettini and goes, that's why they call him the hammer. I don't know anyone who calls Berrettini the hammer. I just want to clarify to tennis fans that in what? no, no that was his that was his UTR nickname. Okay, but it's false. Not, like, not that's UTR. What... I'm sorry. Ultimate tennis chant UTC. Uh, Murata oh, Blues pandemic. Oh, what was that called? The, the, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's no one call. Okay, but you might be right. You're right. Who calls him the hammer? Jason Goodall does. Jason Goodall's wrong. <laughs> like I don't know no. anyone who calls him the hammer. I, I just, disagree. Uh, all right. Anyways, um, and by the way, I, I just like you're right to that extent that it would be great if they showed that more. But I actually thought they did a pretty good job of explaining it at a basic level of, again, what makes Berrettini so relentlessly effective, and he reiterated it. It's not my serve. It's not my forehand. Like, But again, to highlight those two things in particular, you're right. There, There is low-hanging fruit for more, but it's not as though they didn't address it. No, no, they didn't address that. They addressed why Berrettini is good, and they did that at the beginning of the episode. And you're right. Andy Roddick was money, just being like, Matteo Berrettini as a tennis nope. player— this is what he does. This is why he's good. There was no discussion. You no, know, Roddick talked about attacking Rafa, what Berrettini had to do to attack Rafa. He talked about you have to hit the big first serve. You have to take time away. He, he, I mean, he talked about it at a surface was, level, but he talked about it a little bit. Right, but it was it was just you have to play well at the beginning of the match. It's like you have to jump <laughs> on him. It was, it was the most cliche nothing sentiment you could possibly it's have. It's fair. Okay. Right? And, and yeah. I just think, like, when it comes to Berrettini— I, all I'm saying is when it comes to Berrettini and Nadal, Matteo has an issue. There is a reason why it's difficult for him to win. And it has nothing to do with all of the mental stuff that he's talking about like, and harping on, which I understand why Matteo wants to harp on those things. Okay, well, let's bring somebody else who's going to harp on you know, the fact that 
Ferrari has a quicker car than Mercedes, okay? In Drive to Survive, they don't talk about some things. They don't talk about soft tires, hard tires, medium <laughs> tires. They don't talk about that. Fox, they they Fox, have Fox. they have determined that that is too in the weeds <laughs> for casual Drive to Survive viewers. And by the way, I think they're right. So that they don't touch, but are they occasionally in some races going to bring up the fact that there was an error in pit strategy or that, you know, something went uh, or that uh, so-and-so uh, didn't tune the car correctly for the track. Yes. Well, so, so just, just give me that. I thought that was one of those scenarios where it's very obvious to explain why there's an issue here for Mateo. Well, so it's interesting. You, you're right. They didn't talk about the other thing that holds him back is the backhand. That that's the weakness. That it's not where it needs to be compared to the rest of his game for him to be the unequivocal guy. But they did do that with Tom Janovich a bit, and it was fascinating okay. to hear. Yeah, with her mentorship of Chrissy Everett, right? And Everett talks about the fact that like she thinks Tom Janovich can be a top ten player, but I believe the exact quote was Tom Tom Janovich is a little bit too nice. And to Everett's point. Chrissy Everett's words here, you have to be a little <laughs> out there sometimes. You have to You're be trying. mean. Like, she's yeah. right. Like, again, I'm not saying that Tamjanovic isn't mean and that's the difference uh, of why she doesn't win matches is because she is too nice. But what, what Everett's referring to is you have to have some weapons to cut the throat. You have to just be playing on your terms, be willing to go down swinging. And I do think they address that with Tom Janovich in a broader sense. To put it in basic terms is you have to be a little meaner out there. That's a thing totally. everyone can relate to. Do, do you understand, though? It's mental, 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 mental. Yeah. It's, they're, they're right now, so far. And but I mental's it, understandable. We'll I just don't think people can understand know, casually tactics know, yet. But let's, let's, just, let's just have a little mix here. Okay, you but know? can I give you a, a, the, the counters? It's episode two. It's not okay. episode six. I know. I, I get that. So let's see what happens. Okay. 80% mental, 20% other stuff. Sure. Just please give me that 20. You know, it's not, this is not uh, only about psychology here. There's other things. So I uh, just want them to introduce that when it comes to the one-on-one -on -one aspect of tennis, because okay. it is, it is a one-on-one -on -one chess match with a winner and a loser. And I would like sometimes to explain what went wrong in that chess match. Fair. Um, I think that, I think that's a me. very good point. Something to look out for in future episodes. Do they talk more tennis strategy? Right. Like just just a hypothetical. Like if if uh, Zverev Zverev lost at the Australian Open, right? If they happen to feature Zverev and he double faulted twelve times, are we going to talk about that, or are we just going to be like, you know? Well, I mean, oh, for him, it well, it is mental. <laughs> like again, it's for that end. That's a point. that's a that's a tough example. But Awful I see example. Your, yeah, I see Awful your point. Example. Or it's like a Tiafa loses a match because he gets served through his forehand relig religiously. It's like, yeah. it's not as though Tiafa wasn't playing free. Yeah. Look, don't for look, this is not, this should never turn into Monday match analysis. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but just, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. More tennis to explain again. You're right. Just more tennis. Okay. Um, we get a, we get a look at Berrettini's family, his Nana. I mean, that was all very sweet. I thought that was decent behind the scenes. Everyone uh, has a mother who wants to feed them more when they're home. Berrettini is no exception. You, you broke up a little bit there. Well, I was what just going to say part? the clear is more Parmesan cheese from, from Mrs. Berrettini. She's got it ready. She needs to feed her son. That's just good mothering. 100%. Um, I, I do have my notes. Get the Berrettinis a bigger television to watch their son on. I mean, that was a tiny television. He can afford um, it, too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. come on. Three straight top ten seasons? Oh, I, I wouldn't be saying Four? that if I thought he couldn't afford yeah. it. All right. Uh, do you have, as we go to our uh, awards, do you have a best quote of the episode? Well, I'm glad you bring up the Berrettini family because this is where I want to begin. I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but Grandpa Berrettini was just unequivocally the biggest winner of this show and so many different gems from him throughout the course of the episode. You start uh, with his grandpa, of course, just going uh, right away into, you know, uh, it was an excuse to see my girlfriend when talking about why he played tennis the last week at the club. He played tennis every day. Berrettini asks him, he's like, oh, did you get to play at all? And his grandma's like, oh, he played every week. And grandpa's just sitting there. That's when he picks up his head and goes, yeah, it was an excuse to see my girlfriend. Like, that's just good humor. That's just 
good grandpa humor right there. You know, talking to him after the Alcaraz goes, we beat his ass. Like, that's delightful. Or what's the plans for 2023? It's to kick ass. Like, come on. Like, you need that grandpa in your corner. And that's Berrettini's hype man. All right. Might be foreshadowing the the last question. Yeah. Um, mine was uh, just Isla's uh, rawness after after losing the match. I thought that was the best stuff. You know, feels like... And they didn't even cut that. I mean, Netflix just left that in for maybe a minute and a half. I mean, you know, you know it's good when you're just gonna be like, eh, let's just leave this and let it sit. And yeah. uh, I thought the the quote of the match, if I can pick that entire running uh, dialogue between her and her coach. Uh, what about? Most well, I, fr- can I give you some more nominees? Because you know I have nominees. I'll go through them quickly. I, no, I no, swear. no, no. We shouldn't do nominees. Okay, it's but just... but the sport is like a drug out of Bedosa. Like, that's a gem. Like, there's just like, it is a drug. You're absolutely right. Or, you know, Kyrios on Rafa calling it the craziest effing thing I've ever seen. That was, ex- like, extraordinary. You're right. All the quotes from Tomjanovic after the match, they were all delightful. Like, there were a lot of good quotes. I thought, you know, Courtney calling players notoriously self-centered. It's true. It's a good quote. There are a lot of good nominees. I'm not disputing that. (laughs) Okay. I will come prepared with one next time. I will be (laughs) that much more definitive. Carry on. Okay. Okay. Uh, Most frustrating to people who watch tennis. What do you got there? (sighs) Wow. That's a good question for this. I mean, for some reason the hotel room was frustrating, like the messiness of it. <laughs> I would say like as a tennis fan, how do you not ex- – like that just – you know what it means? And I say this lovingly. It means you weren't that good at tennis because if you weren't that good at tennis, you left the hotel before it got messy. Like these players are there for a month and especially – Shout out to the comment section. I forgot to mention this earlier. One of the reasons the crowds aren't full at this Australian Open, and it was a detail I had forgotten, but someone reminded us, is because there were COVID regulations. So they couldn't yeah. be full throughout the yeah. course of the event. But like, keep that in mind with the hotel rooms as well. Like, They weren't going places. You're staying in your hotel during last year's Australian Open. And like, if you're in one place long enough, it's going to get messy. Totally agree. Yeah, that was definitely most frustrating. Was like clean up your damn room. Uh, they they do they did address it, and then uh, you know, uh, Mateo was like, uh, who, "Who was in here last?" Uh, yeah. Isla was like, "Was it me?" And he was like, "It was me." Yeah. And then she's like, "Just leave it. It's fine." <laughs> yeah. Honorable mention: They Rafa blitzed through Medvedev in the final. That match was so good; it deserved five minutes. And then no, like we haven't gotten any Barty yet. Barty winning Australia is why the Australian Open had record viewership within the continent. Like, that was a huge thing to start the season. I bet we'll get something on it when she retires, but that was a huge thing. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't have your the right characters involved and your yeah. cameras in the right places, you know, I'm glad they're not forcing it. I'm mm-hmm. glad they're not just like, oh, Barty won the AO, so, like, let's just take footage from that and get a take from Roddick. Like, I'm yeah. glad that's not their approach. Yeah. Speaking of cameras in the right places, Rafa in the halls pre-match. Can you imagine standing there and with his headphones, Rafa's going through his pre-match swings and you're just like, oh my God, I'm fucked. Like it's over. Like that's where you lose the match now that I see it because it's like, that is the most intimidating thing I can imagine as a tennis player is Rafa going through his practice routine and me being like, oh my God, he's doing that to get ready for me. Like I'm in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh who won the episode? Grandpa, Courtney. But I've already mentioned them, so my real nominee here. <sighs> who won? You're, the you're, episode? you're you're very bad at this. Very bad at the award. No, I'm a millennial. We give out a lot. Um, right? Everyone gets a trophy. Um <sighs> You know what? Fine. I'll just go with Grandpa. I'll just go with Grandpa because, again, the FaceTime. I really thought he was going to be either shirtless or, like, something was – when Grandma was like, I'm turning the camera to Grandpa, that was the single most dangerous moment of the episode where all I could think in my head is, oh, no. Like, what is Grandpa doing in a moment like this? Like, there's going to be a cookie crumb on his belly button, and we're going to see him digging after it. Like, something funky. 
he's my winner. I just I could watch a sitcom on the Baratinis as long as they don't get a bigger TV because that really is what makes it even funnier. It's like all <laughs> oh, them sitting around watching that TV where it's like you know your son has been as high as like six in the world. Yeah. Like, I imagine you're watching a good amount of tennis on that television. No, they have a great cable package. It's just not a great TV. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the main character. Um, I, I'll, I got to do a deeper cut for the next one, but I'm going to go with the main character and go with Isla. Um, okay. I think good especially especially seeing, you know, someone like her, you know, obviously they're they're going to be following mainly top 20, top 10 players on this show. Uh, to follow someone like Tomjanovic, who at the time was around 50 in the world, she loses first round, she gets spanked. And she's very human about it. Yes. Uh, and and very, uh, you know, she she just very, she comes across as very humble, very down to earth, um, likable. That's the kind of thing where I could see somebody who gets into the show being like, you know, similar to how someone might get into um, Haas racing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if they're if they're an F one fan, they're kind of the lovable. Mm-hmm. Isla's really not at the back of the pack, so let me be clear: she is not Haas in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> but uh, you know, just kind of uh, someone who's not really king of the world here on yeah. tour, but someone you get behind and someone you root for, and uh, ultimately, that's that's definitely what we want. Who's the team below? Who did R- Ricardo drive for last year? Renault. No, 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 no. He didn't drive for McLaren. Right McLaren. Who's who's one step below McLaren? That's Tom Yanovich. <laughs> That's true. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm a little bit out of the loop. I, I haven't. You know, it's been a while since I've. I've po- I haven't followed the F1 very well. You're absolutely right, though. Tom Yanovich being as candid and human as she was, it was what makes this episode exceptional. Um, I will point out because I just want to hear your reaction and then take us away about. 37-minute mark. They have a, a flash to an individual interview with Tom Yanovich. I am all for getting a haircut whenever you deem fit. But to include that interview clip with her with a completely different hairstyle than she had had the entire episode, again, neither positive nor negative. I was just like, I just was like, wait a second. This is Tom Yanovich, right? Like, uh, what, what happened? <laughs> well done to you. I, I didn't notice. Yeah. I mean, she she made a drastic change of her hair recently. Drastic. At some point, drastic. So, but yeah, I did not notice. So, good catch by you. These um, eyes, baby. These eyes. That's what you're here for. All right. Fun one. Episode two. Uh, I already forgot. Take the, the crown. Take, take the crown. The crown. It's, look, uh, we we didn't get into this. Not the best title. What what are we going for here? Very generic. It's, a, it's good for the, the SEO. Good for the SEO. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> take the crown could literally be freaking anything. Uh, yeah. But we're gonna go with that. So for Alex Gruskin, I am Gil Gross. Episode two. Take the crown. We will see you soon for the next one on the Breakpoint Show. <laughs>